Welcome market participants to another three things in credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. We got a kick this week out of a comment from Alan Blinder, former Fed chair in the 1990s who's now at Princeton. He said the economy is doing, quote, remarkably well as consumers continue to spend like mad, unquote. If I read into that statement, I find that consumers are spending irrationally. Is that what he's saying? Is that sustainable? I'm not so sure. And then what? Slow down, which is kind of what we're waiting for. In any event, this week, our three things are one, big bank color. The largest lenders provide real-time insight into their credit portfolios. Two, cost of borrowing. It's really gone up and that's doing the Fed's work. Is that a good thing? And three, credit's relative value. Here's how it compares to stocks. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Big bank color. We always like to check in on the big banks for some real-time observations about credit from the largest lenders in the business. Heading into this earnings season, investor interest is focused on the biggest swing factor on a bank's income statement, its provision for its loan loss reserve. Interest is peaking given that we are fully 19 months into the Fed's hiking cycle, a cycle that is, of course, the most dramatic in 40 years. And that means that loan books are full of loans underwritten under very different circumstances. And this is where it gets interesting. So where are we in the credit cycle? Well, quite frankly, we're in a pretty remarkable place for the most part in terms of bad debt, which speaks to the strong starting point consumers and businesses in the aggregate were coming into the downturn and the lingering benefits of massive fiscal and monetary accommodation. Now, you'll notice a couple of qualifiers in that opening comment. Within consumers and businesses, there are deteriorating trends among the riskiest borrowers, and that won't always show up when looking at big bank lending performance, which skews, of course, towards higher quality consumers and businesses. So there is that bias, but it's still worth a look. Asset quality remains stellar, says Bank of America, with a portfolio that is well-positioned and adequately reserved against the current conditions. The overall loan loss rate is normalizing towards the 2019 level, which was anything but normal. That loss rate was at a multi-decade low. The loan loss reserve bill of $303 million this quarter is de minimis on a trillion-dollar loan book. Yet that reflects the bank's macroeconomic outlook that features an unemployment rate assumption north of 5% in 2024, so fairly conservative. And over on the commercial side, the only place of elevated concern, according to the bank, is the commercial real estate book, which is equal to just 7% of total loans. That portfolio is adequately reserved, according to management. Non-CRE commercial loans had a reserve release as certain undisclosed troubled industries had improved outlooks. So overall, not too shabby. Over at JPMorgan Chase, CEO Diamond made news by acknowledging that the bank is, quote, over-earning, unquote, in credit, meaning loss rates are unusually low. Like B of A, the loan loss billed in the quarter was immaterial. The company is reserved under the assumption that unemployment would reach 5.5%. Loan losses in its CRE book are trickling higher in the office portfolio. Not exactly, keep moving, nothing to see, but very solid nonetheless. Wells Fargo continues to take some credit tightening actions, which CEO Scharf was quick to elaborate on. 
upping lower FICO boundaries, tightening layered risks, kind of what he called smart tightening, given where we are in the credit cycle. Management pointed out that delinquencies continue to rise at a relatively slow, consistent rate without signs of acceleration across the book. Overall loss rates are low. In its $32 billion office portfolio, that's 3% of loans, management observed that vacancy rates are high and the market is weak. Higher losses are expected over time. And elsewhere, commercial and industrial non-performers are low and falling. It all sounds fairly consistent. But wait, then there is Discover, right? the pure play consumer lender. Its earnings fell 33% from a year ago quarter, and it missed its estimate by 18%. The stock fell 8% on the day. The culprit? A much larger loan loss provision than expected, and more ominous color regarding the consumer than what we heard or was implied from the large banks. Loan loss reserves were grown in the quarter by Discover by $601 million. Half because of loan growth. That's okay. But half because of what management called, quote, changing macroeconomic and household liquidity conditions, unquote. More specifically, management cited declining savings rates and increasing debt burdens. This observed by a business that is a largely prime lender, although the company did experience mild deterioration in lower to mid FICO bands. Now, to be fair, the company still earned 19% on equity. So what did we learn about what's ahead? All acknowledge that credit costs are moving higher, but no one really suggested it was something to be all that concerned about, including Discover, which reiterated its full-year loan loss guidance, a quite reasonable 3.4 to 3.6%. Again, that speaks to that strong starting point consumers and businesses enjoyed coming into what has been, so far, a decidedly soft landing. The decidedly modest loan loss reserve increases seen thus far, with a possible exception of Discover, suggest strongly that this credit cycle, barring some extraordinary shock, is likely to be a moderate one. All right, on to our second thing, cost of borrowing. We talked last week about various Fed officials acknowledging that the move in rates is going to slow the economy. Fed Governor Waller said financial markets tightening up are going to do some of the work for us. So that's the point, right? make rates restrictive in order to cool the economy. And yet, when you sit up and realize what's happened, it's breathtaking. Home mortgage rates at 8%. That means the monthly payment on a new purchase mortgage on the average home has jumped from $1,500 in 2021 to $3,000 today. The average payment on a new car loan today, $750 at an interest rate of 9.6%. So much for 0% financing. And the average credit card loan rate today is more than 24%, according to LendingTree. And that rate typically is updated as conditions warrant. Over on the commercial side, small to mid-sized businesses now pay between 10.9% and 15.5% on loans, according to RSM. Most of existing loans at less than 5% to 7%, so refinancing burden is going to be real. Now think about these rates being in place for a while over the course of 2024. After all, that's what the Fed has signaled. And we keep bringing this up to counter those in the camp of a no or even soft landing and immaculate disinflation. Let's put it this way. If the tightening of credit is not slowing economic growth and by extension inflation, then the Fed will tighten credit further. Maybe not through additional rate hikes, but by leaving high rates in place for longer and by leaving QT in place. 
Either way, the Fed's going to win this battle. As Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan said this week regarding the engine of growth in the U.S., the Fed has won the battle of the American consumer. They are slowing down their spending. Fight the Fed at your own risk. All right, on to our third thing, relative value of credit. And needless to say, the spike in rates has not been welcomed by credit markets. Year-to-date returns have turned negative, down 1.9%, in the heavily rate-sensitive investment-grade market. Performance has been better in high yield, which is up 4.3% year-to-date, although September and October thus far have been negative. But if we take a step back and look across the opportunity set, credit's relative value appeal is fairly clear. Investment-grade yields are now 6.4%, the highest since 2007, and high yield is out to 9.4%. Now let's compare these yields to stocks. Sure, if you bought the S&P 500, you've done well, up 11.6% year-to-date. But if you were uncomfortable having your return carried by the Magnificent 7, performance has paled as the equal-weighted S&P 500 is up less than 1% year-to-date. And think about how those credit yields compare to the dividend yield on the S&P 500 today, which is just 1.6%, or the earnings yield on the S&P at 5.5%. Now, the relative value and appeal of credit today is built on a belief that we are at or near the peak in rates. Acknowledging that many thought we were at or near the peak in rates in this cycle when we were at 2% on the 10-year back in 2022, it's worth pointing out that the most recent economic survey conducted by the Wall Street Journal out this month puts the consensus 10-year Treasury at 4.2% and 3.9% on June 30 and December 31, 2024, respectively. And if rates were to push higher from current levels, that's not likely to be good for stocks. So pulling it all together, we believe the relative value story of investment grade compares favorably to competing asset classes at this point in this cycle. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, big bank color. The quality of their loan portfolios is, for the most part, very reassuring. Two, the cost of borrowing. Regardless of what you think about the policy rate, the rates the real economy faces are clearly restrictive. And three, credit's relative value. It's a good story at this point. As always, thanks for joining. Don't forget to check in on kbra.com for our ratings reports and our latest research. See you next week. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's chief strategist for in-depth conversations with credit experts in my new monthly podcast, Leading Voices in Credit, where I'll interview market professionals on the latest trends in credit markets. That's Leading Voices in Credit with Van Hesser. Subscribe now.